0: everybody, I'm Kyle Rizdahl. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense.
1: And I'm Samantha Fields, in for Kimberly Adams. Thanks so much for joining us on this Thursday.
0: Today is, uh, as Sam said, a Thursday, so it's a standard deal, a little bit of news, a little bit of Make Me Smile, and then we're out of here. Sam, you go first.
1: All right, cool. Now somebody's buzzing my door. Uh, I ordered nothing, so I don't know why. Anyway, sorry about that. (laughs) Um, So my big news, the one I'm going to start with, is the Social Security cost of living adjustment. We got uh, that number today. It's going to be 8.7% increase for anyone on Social Security. That's going to start next year. And that's the biggest increase in 40 years. Um, It is, of course, because inflation is so high. We got that number today, too. And uh, Mm. prices my God, I'm so sorry. Someone is buzzing. That's right. um, so, yeah. That's so, obviously, as we know, inflation has been high. It is still high. Um, and Social Security is, you know, designed to keep up with inflation, obviously with a bit of a lag. But... You know, how much it goes up each year, if it goes up at all, is determined based on how much prices went up from the third quarter of last year to the third quarter of this year. So that's why we found out today. And, you know, this is a big Mm -hmm. deal. It makes a real difference for people. Something like 40 percent of retirees rely on Social Security for half or more of their income. So this is a big chunk Mm -hmm. of money for people. Um, but you know it's also not that much money. The average increase yeah. will be something like a hundred and forty dollars a month, which month, yeah. which is not nothing, but it's not that much and also, you know when we were looking through the the latest c p i the inflation data today. A lot of stuff, like the top line number is 8%, 9%, but a lot of stuff is going up way more than that, including people's biggest expenses, like rent, like food, utilities. These things are way, way up. Groceries are up 13%, electricity, natural gas up 15%, 30%. You know, And one woman I spoke to for a story I did on this for, for Marketplace earlier this week, she lives in Spokane, Washington, and she said... Social Security is most of her income. She's raising her 10 year old grandson, and her rent this year alone has gone up 38%. And at this point, it's almost her entire mm. Social Security check. She has $26 left over after she pays her rent. Yeah. And so, you know, the increase is helpful. It's, everyone, I'm sure, will be, will be glad to have it, but it's not really keeping up with people's actual rising costs.
0: No, I think that's the key thing, right? The idea that Social Security is all or most of a person's income is not the way Social Security was supposed to work, right? It was supposed to augment and supplement uh, retirement plans. And so that becomes all the more problematical when you have the changes in pensions and benefits and retirements and and all of that that we've had in the last generation or two. And also now 8.2% inflation at a headline level. And that's really um, not the way it's supposed to work
1: at all right and the increase last year was 5.9 percent which was also the biggest in right. 40 years at the time but you know obviously it hasn't kept up with rising prices this year
0: yep 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 all right what's uh, what's story number two for you
1: Okay. Story number two is student loans. Another big deal for a lot of people. You know, there's been a lot of attention on Biden and Biden's announcement that he's canceling, you know, $10,000 worth of debt for most people with federal loans, mm-hmm. $20,000 for people with Pell Grants. But his administration has actually made a bunch of other pretty significant changes to the student loan program in the last year or so um, that have gotten a lot less attention. And one of them is about to run out, it expires at the end of October. And that is some changes, temporary changes, he made to the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. Now, people who have student loans who work in public service probably have heard of Public Service Loan Forgiveness, PSLF Mm. it's often called. This is for sort of anyone who's a teacher, a doctor, a nurse, also anyone working at any nonprofit at all in any job. Um, Hmm. If you're doing that, you have federal student loans, you pay for 10 years, you can apply and have whatever's left over at the end forgiven, right? If you've done your service, you have been paying your loans on time, and you work at a qualifying employer, and there are a lot of qualifying employers, you can apply for this program. It's been around since 2007. um, So, you know, there are people who have gotten forgiveness through this program. But the thing is, when it was originally rolled out, and for many years, it basically wasn't communicated to people, right? So it existed, people kind of knew it existed, but they didn't know all the rules. And there are a lot of rules that you have to follow exactly right to get forgiveness. And when people started applying, something like 2% of people were getting it. And- A lot of people Mm -hmm. only then were learning, I have the wrong kind of loan. It's not actually a direct loan from the federal government as my lender, and so it doesn't count. Or I was in the wrong kind of repayment program. I wasn't in an income-driven repayment program, so it doesn't count. And you can consolidate and start again, but then you lose those 10 years that you thought you were paying into this program. right? And so temporarily for one year, Biden said, okay, If you had the wrong kind of loan or were in the wrong repayment program, but you've been working for a qualifying employer, you can apply under this temporary waiver and have all those payments count. And this has been a really big deal for a lot of people. So far, something like 175,000 people have had $10 billion worth of loans forgiven under this temporary waiver. And there are a lot more who qualify, a lot of people who've applied and are waiting. And the thing is... This is a temporary thing because it's under sort of the COVID national emergency that he has, that Biden has the power to say that these rules can be changed. And it ends on October 31st. So people basically have, what, two weeks left to get their paperwork started, get it in Mm. uh, to be able to apply for this. And a lot of people, I think, still just don't know. So I just wanted to put it out there.
0: Yeah, I think the thing that I've discovered in the past, you know, number of years paying more attention to student loans as student debt has become such a huge problem is how opaque a lot of the relief programs, how opaque the the repayment schedules and obligations are to a lot of people. You really, you really got to read the fine print. If you're in the student loan market, as it were, as a consumer, you really have to read the fine print.
1: You do, because it's it's tens of thousands of dollars on the line for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is which is life changing. Uh, okay, so I've got two. They are way more dorky and less news you can use than <laughs> Sam's were, but that's okay. I'm going to stick with them. The first one's just kind of a headline, and I want to make sure people realize this. Uh, so it's Thursday. Uh, people will be listening to this in the next you know, day or so, whatever. Today, Thursday, the markets had a great day uh, because inflation came in lousy, and that means um, the Federal Reserve is going to keep raising interest rates, and there's just all kinds of things going on. But the markets went up. OK, the markets went up in a big way. The S&P 500 up to something percent today. Here's my news item. The S&P 500, which is the broadest measure of uh, stocks and is generally uh, a good index to follow if you want to know what's going on with the whole market. The S&P 500 is still in a bear market. It's still down 24 percent from its most recent highs. So even though we played the really happy music uh, on the show today uh, on Marketplace, let's remember we're still way off where we were. So there's that. Number one. Number two, apologies for that sanding sound. If you hear sanding in the background, they're painting the house just across the courtyard here. So sorry about that. You've got your doorbell. We've got buzzers. We've got sanders. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Here's the other thing, and this is way dorky, but I just want to make sure it's on people's radar. So we talk about the Federal Reserve a lot. We talk about central banks, broadly speaking. The central bank in question right now and my news item is the Bank of England, which you might remember thirteen days ago came to the rescue of the British government when Prime Minister Liz Truss and the Chancellor of the Exchequer Quasi Quartong came out with this thing called a mini budget in which they said they were going to cut taxes and spend a boatload of public money and they were going to spend that boatload of public money by borrowing and the markets went bananas the pound crashed against the dollar down to 103 it was like a, a dollar 30 at the beginning of the year And the other thing that happened was that the gilts market, the British sovereign government bond market, they're called gilts, um, interest rates went through the roof. Went through the roof. So the Bank of England stepped in and said, hey, 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 we're going to buy all the government bonds that we need to buy to stabilize things, but we're only going to do it for two weeks. Well, that two weeks expires tomorrow. That two weeks expires tomorrow so look out because things so are going to get really interesting. Yes, ma'am.
1: No, sorry, continue. And I'll ask my question now. Oh, that's
0: all right. I, I was just going to say, look out. Things are going to get really interesting in the UK tomorrow when the Bank of England says, okay, we're done helping out the government. Marcus, you're on your own. Go ahead. What was your question?
1: What does all this mean for regular people who don't follow this, but who live in England?
0: Here's here's well, I'll give you the macro thing, and it's why it matters for people in the United States too. What mm-hmm. we have here in, uh, in developed economies, central banks, right? It's basically the Eurozone, um, the UK, the United States, all the major central banks except Japan are raising interest rates to control inflation. Let's remember that inflation is a global phenomenon right now, okay? Absolutely. That is the first time really in a very long time that global banks, global central banks have acted in concert in such a short period of time. Right. The Federal Reserve has taken interest rates in this country from zero to three percent in nine months, which is just stupidly fast. Okay, So the reason this matters is because when you contract monetary policy so quickly, when it's as restrictive as it is so quickly, the risk is that there will be a global recession. So when the European Central Bank says, we're going to tighten interest rates, and the Fed says, we're going to tighten interest rates, and before this last two-week thing, the Bank of England said, we're going to tighten interest rates, that's really the thing that people are watching to decide whether or not there's going to be a recession on a global level. Um, right. The Bank of England, for two weeks, said, okay, fine, we'll do some more quantitative easing. We'll buy up all these bonds to help the government out, because Liz Truss and Quasi Kwarteng are trying to you know, play fast and loose with British government money, Right. But now, tomorrow, the Bank of England is going to snap back to where it was. And that's why that matters. It's all about recession and forcing economies to slow down too quickly by raising the price of money. God, that was dope. I was also I'm seeing really
1: something sorry. in one of these articles really about sorry. how um, several banks in the UK had, at least temporarily, it seemed like it was only for a day or so, suspended new mortgages because of sort of oh, that, how much I, was changing. I hadn't heard
0: that, but I totally believe it. I hadn't heard that, but I totally believe it. Totally believe
1: it. Yeah. So a lot of real life consequences. There. It's a mess.
0: Yeah. All right, Charlton, move us on from the geekery, would you?
1: <laughs> All
0: right, you go first.
1: All right. So uh, we had a listener, Jessamine, send in something that I loved, which is that she had just learned about an app called Be My Eyes, and that allows sighted people to sort of log on, sign up, and offer to lend their eyes, their eyesight, to someone who's blind or is visually impaired who just needs help with a short little task. Maybe it's sort of reading the instructions Mm. on the back of a cereal box or sort of describing a shirt color or something like that. could really be anything and so you just sign up and um you know if somebody needs help pretty much anywhere in the world i think there's 180 languages uh, that are available on this app you can oh, cool. you can get a live video call with a person and and help them out with something and I was reading more about it. I read an article in The Guardian too that we'll link um, about someone else who sort of tried this out. And what was kind of interesting was that the person was saying there are millions more people signed up who want to help um, sort of than who are actually using the app sort of looking for assistance, visual assistance. Um, But it sounds like a really cool thing. And it just kind of reminded me that, you know, technology, there are so many ways that technology can sort of help people who are visually impaired or hearing impaired or... um, you know, just connect us. And I think sometimes it can be easy to forget that in, in this world where it can feel like technology can be really alienating, too. So I liked that right, reminder. Yeah.
0: Totally. Totally. That's a good one. All right. So mine comes from uh, another listener uh, submission, which we really appreciate, by the way, because, you know, sometimes it's just tough to find things. Uh, this one comes from Dale in North Carolina from ScienceAlert.com. The headline is, Scientists just figured out a way to make beer taste even better, which, awesome, even though I already like beer, and if you don't, I maybe this will so help. I anyway, if it would
1: so make me like it. Uh, yeah, probably not.
0: Because <laughs> my guess is it's an improvement on the margins. But I'll give you the skinny real quick before they start sanding, and we can get the hell out of here. Um, uh, so, if you've ever been in a brewery, you know those huge cylindrical aluminum containers in which they brew the beer, right? If you're in a small brewery, they're short and squat, and and reasonably, you know, manageable. If you're in an industrial brewery or some of the bigger craft brewers, they're giant. They're like 40 feet high. They're huge. They hold thousands of gallons. Well, it turns out that when you put, when you try to brew beer in those big giant things, carbon dioxide can form and put pressure inside the container that can change the taste of the beer. So, what scientists have figured out a way to do using the CRISPR gene sequencing tool, gene editing CRISPR tool, right? Joy. Yeah, way, yeah, way. So they can engineer a mutation in yeast strains and so that those strains could better withstand the CO2 pressures inside those huge containers and thus perhaps improve the flavor of the beer because increased CO2 pressure can adversely affect the taste of beer in those big um, containers. So science to beer's rescue, even though beer has been around for a millennia. How about so
1: that? interesting.
0: Isn't it? I thought yeah, so too. Is. I thought so too. All right, there we go. That is it for us for today. We'll move right on. Tomorrow, Economics on Tap on our YouTube live stream starting at 6.30. That's Eastern time, 3.30 out here on the Best Coast. Um, news, drinks, play around a half full, half empty. Uh, and we'll do an audience poll, too. Uh, that seems to be working out pretty well. You guys get to vote on one of those questions, which is always fun.
1: And as always, if you've got a question, thought, suggestion, call us at 508 UB Smart and leave us a voicemail or you can email us at makemysmart@marketplace.org.
0: Marcus Cabrera is in charge of this podcast these days while Bridget's off doing, you know, whatever she's doing. Today's episode was engineered <laughs> by Charlton Thorpe.
1: Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter and Donna Tam is the director of On Demand.
0: Here we go. Ends the credits.
1: It's almost Friday now. Ends
0: the credits.